Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you Art Monthly on Resonance 104.4 FM. And today um, we're talking about two features in the issue of Art Monthly, February 2013, issue number 363. And the features are by two regular writers, and they are Omar Khalif and Morgan Quaintance. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi. Um, Hi, how's it going, Matt? All right, not bad. We're a little bit... um, rushed in because it's a live programme preceding... Now, we're following another live programme, so we've just had to zip in and zip out. So bear with us, listeners, if you're listening live, and if you're not listening live, you just have to imagine that you are. Um, Basically, the two features um, do circulate around the internet, but they're quite different treatments. One is particularly about curating, and curating either on the internet... This is by Omar's. um, um, His actually is called... The Curator's New Medium in the magazine, and um, you're discussing the culture of virtual curating, really, aren't you, Omar? And, and we'll start with you, and, and then we're following on with Morgan's, which is called Being Online on the Phenomenon of Virtual Lives, which is a slightly more philosophical or slightly more theoretical one in terms that um, Omar's has got definite sort of um, examples to uh, make his point, I think. Omar, you, you get the ball rolling and te- just tell me, basically, how did you get to start writing about curating on the internet? What made you think about that? Um, well, it's probably first worth um, mentioning that I kind of don't like the term virtual in either the context of mine or Morgan's essays because I feel like the word virtual has become outdated because it suggests like a simulation of reality and I think what both of us are talking about here is that there is a new way of being and that is a being on the internet and it has kind of very different ways of existence Um, and I guess I came to this because um, when I wrote it I was working um, at a new media art centre in Liverpool and very much was interested in um, artists who were working on the internet and then was really, really confused when I started seeing like people like Damien Hurst and Tracy Emin kind of their work popping up on the internet on these really slick platforms like Sedition, which I talk about in my um, article here. And really what I'm kind of tapping into is this idea about how the internet constructs... I start off by talking about how the internet constructs a new way of curation or taste brokering, bearing in mind that the word curator kind of... kind of assimilates this idea of, um, of of selection within it. And I start off by talking about how, for example, if you purchase things on Amazon, it creates through algorithms very specific um, examples of other things that you should look at. And in a sense, that's a kind of curatorial approach because what curators often do are like, if, you, if you're interested in this body of work or this idea, then you should check this work out. And in a sense, it's to- I'm talking about how the internet, through very simple functionalities, can create um, a kind of different kind of access, but also that questions the position of the conventional curator who goes to studies art history and goes to curator school. And it's kind of quite appropriate because Morgan and I studied curating, went to curator school together. And that's why I was like wanting to, us to have an argument about it, possibly. But Morgan seems a bit like doesn't want to today. Um, but uh, I then go on to talk about a couple of new platforms, <laughs> such as Artsy, which is... Um, an online platform that really tries to replicate the museum where you can look at works on online and then pretend that you're in a museum and watching them um, and then purchase them. Um, but however, my critique there is that this platform is very much like reality because um, you can't just buy a work of art on the internet like you would on Amazon. Um, you get contacted by a sales agent who tries to ask you what you're interested in and why you like the piece of work and tries to build this kind of relationship which is very much a conventional gallerist um, collection 
collector-artist relationship, which I think is quite um, polemical because I think that the internet suggests that we should live and consume and, ex and engage with art in a different way. So I'm really questioning the way that um, the, the internet has created new ways for us to experience art and to actually develop connoisseurship and how or how big kind of organizations like Artsy or Sedition or um, even um, the Adobe Museum um, kind of work with kind of conventional hierarchies or conventional modes of viewership. So really that's the kind of the, the summary of the article and so my case studies are Artsy, Sedition and also the Adobe Museum which I think is the most interesting of the case studies. Although it's a museum set up by a kind of a, a kind of a software company and what was interesting about it when it launched is that it created artworks in a kind of environment where um, the work was made specifically for online and it felt like you were spatially in a gallery space or spatially looking at something um, people always say to me well, looking at art online is not the same as looking at it in a gallery, because in a gallery, if you don't like something, it takes you like X amount of minutes to walk out of the museum. Um, however, with a web browser, you can just shut that off. But the thing is, with my experience with Adobe Museum was that it was consuming so much memory on my computer that if I didn't like it and I just shut it, my computer would crash. I'd have to kind of exit quite particularly. So actually, in a sense, it's a very it's a mirror of a particular kind of experience that you conventionally have of art. So I think it's a very that one particularly is a is is a kind of profound case study for me. The most, it sounds like the most conventional use of the internet. Yeah, it's interesting because it's a double. It's like the most conventional use, but it's also the most innovative in the in some ways in that it's not just trying to transpose a picture of an artwork in a museum online. And there's this constant question about how do you engage with things online? And so many people talk about this term that Morgan will be familiar with and talks about as well is the idea that you should be native to the platform and that um, to make work that truly belongs in the internet, you should understand its language and its rhetoric. Um, and so, for example, that... that that's a contradiction here, though, is that they are trying to do that and that they're getting really high-profile artists to respond to the context of the internet. But maybe because the artists are used to working in a gallery, they wanted it to be simulated in a way it looks like reality. And I guess what I'm trying to argue for is how we should research and engage with this kind of discourse or this area to think about actually how can it become really unique or different because we need to stop thinking of this as additional or peripheral to our artistic experience and think of it as integral. And in the end, I kind of question or beg for curator schools and curators who are researching to actually look into all of these platforms and how they're shifting the way that we think about um, how we produce exhibitions or produce kind of narratives around art. So just to, to make a link to, to um, Morgan's, I mean, you're sort of saying that you think... It they should come the, the the being well what Morgan calls being in the world and being online, which are like two separate things. If I'm if I'm not saying I've got, I'm using them in the right these words in the right place or way, but if if you say that's what what the two things are, you're saying Omar that they maybe should come more together and not be these separate things in some way. Mm. And that, I mean they're clumsily trying to do that perhaps in mm. these examples you're giving, but it's too clumsy, so they stay very separate. Whereas Morgan, <clears throat> are you saying that it's that there are that it is possible to join these together, or is that really not? I mean, you because you actually talk about. I'm not really talking the, the two about things, and they seem to say fairly separate in my head. With having read it, well, they well, feature, yeah. I, I guess what I'm trying to talk about isn't joining two worlds. Um, I think what I was trying to do is really give the readers a chance to think about the internet in a more in-depth way. 
because a lot of people talk about the internet in different, well, Omar was just talking about it in sort of curatorial terms there, or in terms of, um, you know, I guess sort of net phenomenons or, or something that's to be disparaged. But really, there's a, a, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the internet is. And that's first and foremost that the internet isn't the World Wide Web. So the World Wide Web is a system of um, web pages, dynamic web pages that we use at the moment. And initially it was called Web 1.0, which was a series of static pages, which is all text-based, not many images. And then we had... Web- a bit like looking at a dictionary or an encyclopedia yeah, in, yeah. in that you'd go, go for information. Yeah, that's true. And read it. Is that what you mean? Yes. By, by one, by the one. Yeah, well, yeah. I just mean Web 1.0 because they were talking about it in terms of like, that was the first version of the World yes, Wide Web. Yes, that's to do with speed, presumably. Yeah, uh, so... Um, and then you have world um, web 2.0, which is more to do with um, multimedia, integrating things into web pages that make them more dynamic and more interactive. And so what I wanted to do was look at how those two structures make people behave when they engage with them. So for me, what was interesting is in terms of what, why I was using the word being, like being online and being um uh, in the world is that I felt like there were two fundamental zones uh, in which behavior was able to play out in a certain way. Like in the world, I'm able to talk to you and you're able to talk back to me. There's physical things that can get in the way of my reality. And online, those those rules and regulations aren't necessarily there, but there are new rules and regulations. And who sets these rules and regulations? By and large, it's the people who are responsible for making the software that we use. And the right. software that we use on the internet is a really narrow set of t- uh, tools. That's where I thought your your piece did connect with Omar's in that mm. way that that the it, but I'm, I'm not saying I'm right about that but it it felt like the curating or, that he's talking about or these sites where you go and select work as a collector it's well, all this stuff is structured think, in quite yeah, a particular way what, aren't they well, that's talking about selling art that's very local I don't isn't really it, think that's got much to do with curating because sure. what we're talking about is quite blue chip artists in a way artists who have a commercial life not necessarily artists who are dealing with important issues or anything to do with it's not, it's not always, sort of um, though, because I but the examples that we used yeah. are commercial artists so you're talking well not necessarily commercial but they're, they're famous they're sort of a-grade artists yeah, yeah. i'll say on the adobe thing just for instance your, your meaning yeah but what I'd, that's not really what no, my sure, sure. Uh, piece was about my piece was really about how the internet makes people behave, how it pushes people into kind of narrow behavioural parameters and what happens when people engage in those parameters and think what they're actually doing is being quite self-expressive and being able to have this free dialogue. So basically I'm saying that what the internet, what the World Wide Web is sold on is is this kind of um, democratic, uh, free, um, free everything, there's no worry about copyright, Free everything, it's democratic, it's decentralised. It was utopian origins. Well, there weren't utopian origins to the World Wide Web. They were just, uh, they were just um, uh, pragmatical. Uh, it, was, it was made to, to exchange um, files. And the internet was never really... Um, the World Wide Web was never really made to sort of um, host uh, multimedia features like, like it is today. Like mm. Tim Berners-Lee was actually against... The, the first browser, I think, that popped up was called Mosaic. That was the first one that really... When I talk about web browsers, I'm talking about Safari and things like that. That was the first one where the guy said, hey, part of this is going to be HTML and what the HTML capacities are going to enable people to do is put photographs online. So basically what I'm saying is that what happens online, it's, it's like... Um, uh, how can I put it? It's... There's a saying that architecture is politics or architecture changes the way people behave. You go into a building and the the things that you can do in that building are dictated by the size, shape, length of the rooms. And I'm saying the same thing happens online. 
that what you can do, what you can express online is dictated by the size, shape and form of web pages that you use. Mm. And there's only a certain amount of web pages that people use generally by and large and even if they don't use those web pages other web pages borrow the functionality to mirror what those what these dominant web pages um display so even if you're not using facebook you're using another site which works kind of like facebook even if you're not using twitter using another website that works kind of like twitter so i was just saying what how is this affecting people how is it affecting art you can say in Web 1.0, when people were using the, the web to make net art, it influenced artists because they were making work that seemed like conceptual art. There was lots of documentation. It was a lot of sort of reportage. And that was necessarily so because you couldn't use multimedia. You couldn't use video. You couldn't really use photographs. Now that we've got Web um, 2.0 or whatever, people are doing stuff to do with dialogue. You've got Francis, uh, is it Francis Stark doing stuff to do with um, uh, chat roulette. Yeah. And basically, I'm just looking at what the behavior are like when you use the internet and the idea is is that um the internet pushes people into narrow i kept i said it before narrow behavioral parameters and it sort of it reduces the complexity of engagement down to the kind of lowest common denominator down to the thing that everybody else is engaged in is, so that was kind of what i was is, saying is that a comparison though to reality because basically what you're saying which is which i totally agree with is that for example the artist is restricted or the performer is restric restricted to the four by three frame of the youtube channel um and you can argue that that's the same as like giving someone a four by three meters gallery wall you know yeah but i i'm not really talking about artists i'm talking about people yeah so i was saying but artists are people too yeah but you're talking about not you're not talking about artists you're talking about artwork so you you can an artist is a human being that walks through the yeah. world but what they make are artworks and their artworks mm. have to conform to restrictions like a 4 by 4 or the yeah. ratio so we're not talking about it that's a separate thing i'm talking about how people mm. are behaving and interacting so it is exactly the same as what happens in the world it's the same as the reason why we all wear jeans we mm. all wear jeans because there's something in society that says we should do and the reason i pulled heidegger in is because he's identified this like ineffable um, non-physical force. The public. Yeah, it's called the public and it's called this thing called the they. And he calls it the, dicta the dictatorship of the they. It's the thing that makes you act the way you act. It's the thing that makes us wear jeans and shirts. It's fashion. It's this kind of... Um, it's a desi desire to, to, to exist through, through, no, other, no, through no, other people? It, is no, that what no, you're talking it's about? It's just a pervasive uh, thing that... You know, you say, oh, well, that's how, they say this is how we should do it. Right. That's what they say. That's what they say. And the thing with the internet is it, it, it amplifies this to such a huge level. And that's what trending is called. That's why you have news aggregators, because it's all about what everybody else is saying. It's not necessarily about individual voices. Although you have people like Amanda Bags and you have you know, isolated instances of in uh, individuality shining through, by and large, it is this like mush of um, popular... Yeah, pop populist uh, sort of musings. That's that's my impression of I it. I want to question you back on that then, or not not challenge, but question because you're talking about how these are just people and this is art and this is separate. But so much of people who choose to express themselves on the internet are doing it because they want recognition, because they want celebrity, because they want to have a spin-off book or a TV show or an artwork or become a performance artist. And there's so many examples that you can give of people like the Britney Spears dude who's become a celebrity who's had a feature film about him and an artwork made about him. So I feel like you're talking about about being on the 
being as as if it's almost like this is a kind of pure different kind of being that's separate from commodity and separate from sales and separate from these things but you don't really talk about how these things are constructed or people are actually really aware of these things that they're doing or that they're playing I don't think they are I don't think they are I think for instance, you use Facebook, right? Are yeah. you aware that what you're doing is commodifying yourself? Are you aware that yeah, what absolutely. you're doing? But it, it's like, um, I, I actually don't, I think you might be quite unique in that position. I don't think people are using Facebook thinking that what they're doing is actually furnishing uh, or heightening the commercial offer of Facebook for investors. Mm. I think that's quite highly specialised knowledge. But you're, and you're, I, you're I, commoditizing yourself, though, as someone that, whether, whether, say, for example, if you're using LinkedIn, what you interact with is things that make you look sexy to an employer. With Facebook, it's about... Op- for me, it's like, oh, I'm positioning myself sometimes amongst a group of peers by what I post or what I choose to engage with. And, like, I think what you choose to post on there and how you choose to act on it is very much about perception because you you don't want to produce stuff and put it... There's no real being on the internet unless people engage with you because if you post these videos and no one looks at them and watches them, then you're not really being because no one is engaged with it. So it's this kind of strange... No, that's actually... A f- that's not true. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I mean, we're pushing it towards this idea of commodity and like uh, uh, e-commerce or something, and that's well, it's, it's not, not like I ha- it's, no, it's, it's about- not like I, I didn't address that. It's that that's just a separate implicit. It's implicit in what I was yeah. talking about. So what I'm talking about is really how behaviour is a function. So that can encapsulate yeah. how people may self-commodify, self-exoticize, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That is being is about behaviour, and one of the things that I talked about in the in the article was that you can't really act in isolation it does even mm. if nobody watches your video it's a social act the very act of you making a video mm. how would you how do you, it's not something you thought up yourself is it you're you're in dialogue with a community whether or not they look at your video or not mm. every day that you wake up if you brush your teeth you're doing it because it's a socially it's a kind of socially constructed ritual that you're partaking in there is nobody who exists on their own do you see what i'm saying mm. You, you do mention some some artists, um, John Thompson and Alison Craighead, and they you, you you cite something they do where they collect lots of examples of people who seemingly are say I think preaching say, and they appear to be thinking that their individual ide- their ideas are one offs and isolated. Well, yeah, but well, when they show them all together, you we as privileged overseers would see them all as similar. Is that is that? Well, I, I think I was just trying to add a kind of sceptical note to this idea that there's this radical heterogeneity about the internet, that everybody is is able to be themselves or able to sort of enact something that's um, personal to them. And I wanted to shine a light on the fact that actually a lot of people all do the same things, whereas Omar may do the same things whilst knowing that he's doing the same things as other people and that what he's doing is commodifying himself. I actually think a lot of people are engaged in these practices thinking... That they're, they're actually, it's actually liberating for them and they're actually doing something quite radical. And I think what I was trying to say was that these artists, by pulling together different um, instances of these shared behaviours from people who, I guess, may think they're acting really as individuals, they're letting us see that this is something that is happening or this is something that the internet enacts. Do you see what I mean? So in the same way that you're saying artists are restricted to the ratios of screens often online mm-hmm. what i was also getting at which i suppose is agreeing with you is that the um the parameters for self-expression that exist on on the world wide web push people into the same sort of restrictions and that th- these are evidenced by what's being shown by thompson and craighead and also by um, dennis knopf's booty clips piece 
Yeah, because like I say, you do come up with people who use irony, um, and you also mention um, Susan Sontag's idea of camp, which, well, which, I, I was, way, which I presume you were saying were ways of perhaps... I mean, there must be, as you're saying, trying to come up, come up with escapes from this, what you might describe as a trap. I, I was just trying to come up with some examples of people who'd, like, tapped into this complex... But actuality, instead of just talking about the internet as like something that's a shared space, something that allows people to be creative, somebody who's actually looking at the internet and saying, what's happening? What What is this? Are we being duped? It's this kind of post postmodern thing where we're supposed to be aware that we're commodities. But the fact that you're aware that you're a commodity doesn't change the fact that you're still being exploited. No, it doesn't somehow. stop the abuse. I mean, to bring Omar back in a little bit more, the, cu- the curating aspect, Omar, that to, to let, if I tag it. i mean basically you are the difference between your if you could say a bit more about the curating offline the curating that you talk about with some sort of sense of definite side i felt you sided towards you know the considered curator from outside who's uh, compared to this thing that was being given online there was a radical difference between the two it seemed like that's what your article was saying well i think uh, like there was a kind of disrespect for the act of curating i don't think that was what I don't think that's what I'm doing. I was working through a set of issues, I think, and I don't think it's just commercial examples. I mean, I quote Rhizome on there, which I don't think is a non-profit organisation, and there's, I've written about the interplay of cultures online and yeah, a number the, of times. Yeah, but the artists that you used were artists that are recognisable and do have a recognisable commercial brand. You mean off, offline? Well, or, I, or the, off I the thought internet, the ones that you were talking they, about well, that, were, that were for sale on the website, it's like... Yeah, but that's one... That's one Elm case. Green and Dragset... Yeah, but this is Damien one... Damien Hurst. Yeah, but this is one example. <laughs> not all of these are... I mean, it's not the point. But yeah, that's, yeah. That's not... The the, the crux of my thing isn't about commoditization. actually. It's more about... Very similar to what you're saying, but you, even though... I don't, I'm curious why you don't seem to see the similarity. It's about how people behave on... It's how people behave as well, but it's how people behave differently. And I guess what I was trying to say here was not that the real world was... That curatorial practice in the conventional sense was any better. Rather, what I was saying is that there are different ways to curate in different environments, and we need to not mirror, or but actually to consider not only the constraint but the possibilities and how this could be a different kind of space for artists and how this space was being co-opted by corporate concerns because the pe- the way to get investment into often to get investment into innovative technology or innovative kind of research in terms of software development of course that's not always the case there's open source platforms and collectives and whatnot um, but it's often through getting people big money and what to invest and what they want is to see returns on their dividend the dividend so yeah uh, it's it's about that tension, really, and about whether this is better than the other. I'm not. I'm not so sure. But what it is is questioning the position of the curator who does that. And the example I give at the end is if I go and download, because for example, all these artists who put their work on on Sedition, who aren't just commercial artists, any artist can put can apply to put their work on there. The idea is that you can just download a digital version of their artwork and put it on your plasma screen TV. And I say, if you put 32 plasma screen TVs of a particular artistic movement and put them in your room in chronological order and write a press release for them, can I then say that I've curated a solo show or a group show about a group of artists in my living room? What does that mean? Like, How does that define a particular um, the, the confines 
confines of curatorial practice or if someone say oh no he's this is just a vanity project and sh- or sh- sh- is that fair to say that you know you know that's i really like that bit in your I, I i thought that was great i think yeah why couldn't it be a show i mean yeah exactly yeah yeah uh, well if these artists are putting their work up there and they're saying this is an addition of my work then surely it's yeah. like yeah it's a it's an exhibition not of originals but of additions but it, do, it does sound quite conventional in a way, well, like, I, do you but, know what I mean? It's, it's still, it's still but, but pictures then what's, selected, but what's curious names about known. Is that the formally the works have changed? You know, so if you're looking at a sculpture, you're no longer seeing, feeling. I mean, not, sculptures aren't really what's on there, but say mm. t- t- neon sign, you're not able to see the flicker of light. You're not able to see you know, the tactility of it's changed. So the form of the object has changed completely because digital manif- representation. So in a sense, it's a different work of art. But then it's claimed it's got the same name as the other work of art so it's an interesting tension yeah. so. i think like i think that's why i was saying it's because these are recognized commercially viable recognizable artists because more often than not their statements are quite simplistic and can be boiled down to a screensaver and that's why i think the sort of seditions thing i don't know it didn't sort of trouble me so much as a curatorial medium it just seemed like one form one more form of a commercial arm of someone trying to make some money for somebody else it didn't really seem like it was anything to do with art or art history but, or what's contested not, at the moment. But that's not the way that they brand themselves. The, what they, the way they articulate it is that they want all artists to use it and it to be a free space that people can create work and mm. everyone can own and love work, but then also that you can collect work this way and people who collect work, collecting work as an act of curation whenever you buy a known artist. Oh, I, found or that, artist. The, you, I think you used the word levelling when you described that. Um, the the, le- the levelling of all artists <laughs> that too. was me actually no 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 you both used the word levelling oh, no you both did but Omar used it in the context of this um, this place where anybody could put their art up and everyone was kind of equal oh. so that levelled them oh, and then you you used you used levelling in the sense that the, that the well I'm going to use the wrong word but the world wide web had this kind of levelling of everybody down to a lower Lowest common, Lowest common denominator, denominator. At least, yeah. and I did I, I wasn't saying that there, but it was an interesting difference but I thought yeah. I thought there was a kind of Similarity to, to my mind because it's the internet's allowing you to have all this number of artists well, okay. that can be equal. The thing is, if it wasn't for the internet, you couldn't do it. The thing mm. is, you also need to tackle what the internet is hosting. I, I would actually argue that the internet hasn't birthed a new generation of fantastically innovative artists. Mm. It's, it's birthed a generation of artists that use appropriation. It's, 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 it's birthed a generation of like uh, digital collagists. Well, I, I and thought that, I thought it was sounded rather sociological. The the, the, the the example where they collected all the preachers, you know, different ones. The thing is, I would identify these people as like a new generation of net artists or people who no, are, no. are on, using Tumblr blogs. I would just call these people artists. I, I wouldn't say that. I, I just think the, the whole moniker of net artists is a kind of weird misnomer and it misdirects you and pushes you in a strange direction really can i say something because on that note it's quite interesting to talk about this idea of um the word digital in its usage because i remember two years ago there was all this art working in an institution all this rhetoric about how the arts council is going to support digital art and digital projects and things that happened online and actually it turned out that all of this was about digital distribution and that the platforms they were investing in were, were about how you could get art out there as opposed to being innovative and i suppose picking on from that point is like all the investment seems to be about how you can use the internet to get existing art out there as opposed to how you can, from within, change artists or actually innovate. And you're right. I think mm. that in terms of the generation of net artists, there's only the main common trope is appropriation, which is sampling and collage and all of these techniques that have been conventionally used already. It's just that the sphere or the access that you're, the, the kind of 
the universe that you access, have access to is much more open. So, and the, But the thing is, it's also you're open to a lot of artifacts that are themselves meaningless because of yeah. the, the World Wide Web. And I think that's what I was trying to draw attention to. And in a way, that's probably why they linked onto each other, is that the, the, the medium itself isn't generating stuff that's really worth that much. And, and I wanted to say, well, why is it not? And I couldn't really go deep into that. Or indeed, like, talking about cloud computing and things. I, I really wanted... That's why I wanted to push the article towards. Like, so, in a way, the art was sort of used as an excuse to talk about but what the internet do you, is doing, what the World Wide Web is doing or enacting there. Do you have... Do you have? Do you think it could, though, breed, like, really interesting projects, artists or whatnot? I don't know. Maybe it could do. But I, I, I also... I feel like... Um, any any sphere can produce interesting projects. It depends on the idea. I don't think the the. I just you know, it's not for me to speculate in terms of if the World Wide Web can't mm. do it because of its nature. Mm. I mean, there's there must be different ways. But I think I wanted to talk broaden it out and just say, look at what the World Wide Web is doing in the majority. And I'm just talking about the main web portals that we use: Facebook, Twitter, Google, Wikipedia. I gotta wind you up, guys. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> It's great, great. You've got to talk right to the last minute. Yeah. You can subscribe to Art Monthly for £29 if you're at all interested in reading these guys' features, which are in the current February issue, 2013. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. Resonance 104.4 FM, the art of listening.